Hello, and welcome back to Deep Lorable, a podcast where a couple of friends dredge the internet for the deepest lore. I'm Michael Bastine. And I'm Billy Staples. And those are some dogs. Before we jump into the episode today, I'm actually going to open with a little bit of an announcement. We have hit episode 30 with this episode. Hooray! Maybe not the most monumental episode number to some people, but hey, it's it's a nice round number, divisible by two. And also divisible by three, and I think some other numbers. That's not important about all the, the all the factors of thirty are not important. What is important is that we are going to be going on a brief hiatus. I believe the number the number we have settled on tentatively right now is one month. So really, that's only going to be like two scheduled release dates that we will not have episodes for. But it could be a little bit longer. Basically. We need to get some stuff together on our end. We don't need to get into that too much, but um, we're just going to take a brief a brief hiatus. Uh, we will put out some announcements also on the Twitter page, at uh, Deplorable. I'd say you guys can email us for more updates, but that's not really how email works. Um, so best just follow us on, uh, at Twitter. Our topic today is FM radio. Also, just radio broadcasting in general, because this, I don't know about you, Billy, but I got into the weeds a bit on this, ep- uh, on the researching this, uh, this episode. I, I can imagine so. I looked more into the history and what makes FM radio work. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really find any weeds. I found a surprising amount of pillows and blankets. I, you know, I'm glad that you kind of took this dive into the science more or less behind FM radio, which is very interesting, very fascinating. It is going to complement well the direction that my research took, which was a little more esoteric. I don't know if you happen to listen to the audio file that I posted in Deplorable. If not, don't worry about it. We'll get to that later. I'll have you listen to that later in the episode. But I, I've got I've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, why don't you give our listeners a a brief rundown on on FM radio. So FM radio is one of the two, I think, methods of radio broadcasting. FM using frequency modulation, which is better suited for music or news announcements. Listeners, picture in your head the stereo, like the movie radio image that you see often, which is like the the wavy lines that kind of almost look like strands of DNA. When those lines are various sizes, that's AM. When it's it's all the same height, but every now and then it's differently spaced, that is what FM radio looks like, more or less. That's an interesting way to describe it, but, I mean, fair enough. Not very many ways you can describe radio waves. <laughs> just, just by describing amplitude. AM and FM aren't the only ways to broadcast. It's just they're the more commonly yeah. used ways. Uh, FM is kind of the... The most common. Talk to us a little bit about the science, Billy, on on that. So frequency modulation or FM broadcasting was uh, originally invented in 1933 by an American engineer named Edwin Armstrong. When he initially designed it, the radio station, the initial design for it was an entire building dedicated to running this. That would not surprise me. Uh just think about the earliest computers yeah. that, you know, took up entire walls or entire rooms. Very slowly did it transition to more of the radios that we have now in our car. Tiny little receivers. 
in most parts of the country, uh, rather in most parts of the world, only odd multiples of frequency are used. Mm -hmm. So like here in Michigan, we have 93.5. So we use that. South Korea has that. The Philippines and the Caribbean use That's the odd, weird. Mul odd multiples. Some other countries follow it because of the they import vehicles from the U.S. And it's if you get a car imported from the U.S. and you're in like China, mm -hmm. you're not going to really be picking up any radio signals. From America, from the United States, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Although to be fair, if you're in China and you've imported a car from America, I, that's kind of weird. They tend to, is it is it weird? Maybe it's not weird. Maybe that's something else we need to look into. I don't actually know how common it is to import American-made automobiles to other countries. So in some parts of Europe, Greenland and Africa, even multiplies or uh, multiples are used. I don't know why mm -hmm. I'm saying that word. Which makes sense. Not. Uh, <laughs> It doesn't make sense specifically for Europe and, and those other places, but it makes sense that there are some places using odd multiples and then other places yeah. using even multiples. So interestingly enough, the UK uses both even and odd. Well, that seems comp that seems overly complicated. Do you happen to know why? I presume it's because they are they close enough to get radio signal from they're no, either close. Not. They're either close enough, or they must import car a lot of cars from the United States and Europe, mm -hmm. and that's why they have both. Now, the outlier here isn't actually the UK; it's Italy. Oh yeah, <laughs> who uses multiples <laughs> of fifty kilohertz? Oh no, Italy's got something more crazy than that too, though. Um, so that kind of gets in a little bit of the weeds that I was I was looking into back when back in the early seventies. Sorry, not the early seventies. Uh, the early seventies was when Italy adopted or started to widely adopt FM broadcast. But the first back in the nineteen fifties was mostly pioneered by um, by radio pirates. Uh, it was referred to by some as the movement of the movement for free radio, which basically they essentially had a bunch of independent uh, radio broadcasters. There were so many of them that eventually they were able to take a case to the Constitutional Court of Italy to actually get like the rights for free speech. Remember, this is back in the 1950s. So, you know, you're it's a ways back there. Not as far as I thought it was, though. 1930 was like 90 years ago. 1933 was it was 87 years ago. Philly, you hear the you hear the, you hear the date 1933 and you think, man, that was ages ago. That was like 100 years ago. I mean, it's close, but no, there are I'm sure are people who are alive now who were born in 1933. There actually might not be. I'm very surprised. I'd be surprised if there wasn't, though. I've interrupted you. I'm sorry. I know you're fine. I'm but. Pirate radio is is real interesting, though. It's curious because it's 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 bootleg radio, but not in the sense of like, you you know how there in the United States, there is a it took a while to get to this point. It was about 1933, actually. Basically, the U.S., the, the FCC, more or less, set up a a system for independent radio broadcasters to get licensed and operate within a certain frequency range. Right. So these are these are our, like, you know, ham radio our, our sorry, not ham radio, but our, our amateur broadcasting operatives. They get their own call signs, the whole shebang. And then outside of that spectrum is where commercial radio in the United States exists. And then I think the military and stuff 
use a spectrum that's even a little bit farther than that, kind of pushing on the ends of the of the spectrum or just underused underused frequencies. Radio piracy is different. Pirate radio station is a radio station that broadcasts without a valid license. There are a lot of different reasons why one may decide to do this, and that is uh, not without some more clandestine uh, sort of pursuits, i.e. bugging people's, you know, workplaces and whatever. But it's it's really interesting the kinds of the kind of channels basically that you get, because obviously it's kind of hard to find the exact nature of the content of these these broadcasting channels just because, you know, they're not legally operated. So uh, recording these things on the Internet is kind of, uh, well, let's just say not a good idea if you want to continue to maintain your illegal pirate radio station. Another thing I found kind of interesting was just the fact that back in 1917, um, with the, the whole war with Germany and stuff, Wilson issued an executive order closing most radio stations not needed by the U.S. government. Now, there, this was done legally. The Radio Act of 1912 was what gave the president legal permission to shut down radio stations during times of war. So, you know... During the first two and a half years of World War One, that's kind of when we got everything started to get kind of shut down. There was, however, a point where the um, the Navy took it a step further than that and declared it was illegal to listen to radio or possess a receiver or transmitter in the U.S. Huh. This is the Navy that yeah. decided this. And no one was really super sure if they were even allowed to do that. It sounds like they basically got away with it for a bit, mostly because... We were like, well, we're at war. Sure. We'll do that, I guess. Um, the ban on the radio was lifted in late 1919. So, you know, we're not we're not driving around in illegal automobiles. That uh, that 1933 date, by the way, that I keep tossing around is the year before the FCC was actually formed. So probably the FCC wasn't doing much around then. You mentioned World War One and how during that we had some issues with radios. <laughs> to say the least. Interestingly enough, on March 1st, 1941, W47NV began broadcasting in Nashville, Tennessee, and that was the first fully licensed commercial FM station. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. That's almost poetic in a way. Just coming from the standpoint of country music. <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, just before we get any angry tweets uh, from listeners... I quite enjoy country music, at least, you know, the good country music, which generally tends to be some of the older stuff. Not saying there's nothing good that's made now. Just, you know, here we are. That alone does not connect it at all to any significant war, except shortly after that, this obviously opened the revelation that, oh, hey, we can make more commercial FM stations, except during World War II. There were restriction on restrictions on construction, which kind of limited the growth of FM radio at that time. Yeah, that would do it. Another small fact, at the end of the 1970s, 50.1% of radio listeners were listening to FM stations, ending AM's historical lead up until then. Rest in peace, AM radio. Yeah, it was it was interesting that initially AM radio was the kind of the main thing and FM radio became was it kind of started got rolling as this as this frequency for or this this band of frequencies for 
some more esoteric, like, you know, easy listening stuff and, and music for local shops to play, basically, during yeah. in-store hours. And then as FM radio gained popularity and AM radio began to sink back, that almost flipped. Basically, you had the indie indie bands, indie stations, things like that starting to or or less listened to stations like, for example, stations that were uh, in primarily a lesser spoken, uh, less widely spoken language or, oh yeah, just less uh, widely enjoyed music. You know, like um, there's one, there's one particular station that I know of. I don't remember what frequency it is anymore, just because with the advent of Spotify and Pandora and all of the other music apps, we almost don't need am fm radio for music anymore yeah now that most or at least many cars come pre-built with a jack to connect to your phone that and your phone then can you know download any number of music stations and plug that in or you know audiobooks or podcasts if you want your talk shows like this this age of entertainment is so if you don't want to listen to something nowadays, you do not have to listen to it. It it might not feel that way with like commercials and stuff, but you can absolutely almost completely cut commercials and advertisements out of your entertainment mediums. It's it can be challenging depending on what medium you're th- you're talking about, but uh, but you know, ad blockers, um pop-up blockers, if you're talking about Spotify just paying the monthly subscription so that you don't get the commercials, which for me at least because I listen to Spotify almost every day of my life for a couple of hours at least is completely worth it. Hashtag not sponsored, hashtag could be sponsored, Spotify. Hit us up. <laughs> We're literally on your app. Oh, wait. If I pay Spotify to not have ads, but then run an ad for Spotify in my podcast, I feel like we've gone for a full circle at that point. <laughs> Never mind, Spotify. We're good. As much as, I, as, much as I'd love a sponsorship uh, deal from, from, from Spotify, I, I feel like the cyclical nature of our relationship would cause our podcast to fold in on itself like an Ouroboros of noise. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So we were talking about uh, how AM and FM radio kind of flipped and, and FM radio began to outstrip AM radio in terms of popularity. Yeah. There was an equally interesting kind of shift in our in our history where the media shifted from newspaper to radio and there are a lot of stories that we can draw on from that kind of time frame, but it was just the the whole war was really between the press and the radio was really interesting because from from a start, journalism was actually like the press was actually promoting radio because radio was working kind of as promotional devices for newspapers. However, the more people started listening that started listening to radio, the more people started broadcasting the news on radio. And because there were no restrictions, people could just basically pick up the morning paper or get in touch with any number of journalists. And boom, you have an inside scoop on any news broadcast that you want. Eventually, there came it kind of came to a head uh, with the Baltimore Agreement in 1933. Hey, there's that number. There's where that 1933 came from that I was thinking of where basically the press kind of tried to squash radio as far as news broadcasting. It would let 
networks air only two five-minute newscasts a day, one in the morning, one in the evening, that in you know time slots that were specifically outside of the primary hours of newspaper sales. They weren't allowed to have like hot off the wire news. And as soon as that agreement was signed, and by as soon as, I mean within a couple hours, people stopped listening to it and started figuring out loopholes. I'm not surprised. No, it basically, radio took advantage of the fact that you could have like commentators And basically, with a little bit of window dressing, these commentators were more or less just news news reporters. Some channels like NBC and CBS, rather than, you know, picking up a newspaper for their news broadcast, just made phone calls because you could kind of just do that, especially if you already knew the right reporter uh, somewhere or could get just a one secretary at a shoot. What's the name for a newspaper place? I I'm drawing how, a blank on the name. How, how are we both drawing a blank on this? Good heavens. Is it just newspaper office? News office? No. A newsroom? No, that's not it either. I don't know. Huh. Hey, if anybody knows, tweet at us. I have no idea why I'm drawing a blank on this. At any rate, this whole back and forth between the press and the radio, it comes through in odd places. One of those being actually the... I've brought this up a couple of times now, and I'm going to keep coming back to it, because every time I think about it and do a little more research, I find new things. Um, And I am, of course, talking about the War of the Worlds radio broadcast, because it's just, it's fascinating to me. This broadcast, for all intents and purposes, really was a failed radio broadcast. It, you know, of the like 150 some odd million people that listened to radio in that time frame, like 6 million, 7 million actually heard this broadcast, the War of the Worlds broadcast. Because again, it this was at a very bad time. It was... um. It was being aired at right at the same time as the Chase and Sanborn Hour. So only about 2% of the radio listeners were actually listening to this broadcast. And even less of them, not less than 2%, but, you know, less than that 2% actually started panicking. Having missed the, you know, the clarifiers that, hey, this broadcast isn't real. It's not aliens. And yet... We have well over a couple million people who, upon hearing a radio broadcast, because they, you know, this is this is a time when radio was not really for performance like it was in the form of music and people were used to that. But this was this was out in a time where radio was news or music, just those more or less something like this hadn't really been done. And the press was all very about it, you know, where it's like, oh, radio doesn't know what kind of power it has over people. And honestly, they were kind of right. Yeah. Wells really was just trying to express his art form in a new and exciting way. And it was very good. It was well done. But the world, not the world, but the, you know, the listeners in the United States weren't ready for it. They had never experienced that kind of thing before. And it really opened up a lot of people's eyes to just how powerful the medium of radio was, how interconnected. That experience had people on both sides of the fence saying, wow, 
look at how connected it can make us how quickly that this that radio as a medium can share information between all of us and help us you know understand what's going on the one of the earliest popular radio types of broadcast were man in the street style interviews where basically people like interviewers would go out and ask random passerby a list of questions. And it this was taken as a way to kind of share like this is what the average person thinks is the answer to this question. It's still kind of a popular um, format today. You see it sometimes on television. But people use that as a way to kind of basically aggregate information or at least what the common person thought the answer was. The people on the other side of the fence were saying, oh, no, look at how connected it makes us. And, you know, some of it was from a privacy aspect, but a lot of it was look at how quickly herd mentality takes control. This was a broadcast about aliens coming down from outer space and shooting laser weaponry at people. And it had some people ready to kill themselves rather than get taken hostage by aliens. This was not nearly as damaging as it could have been. But I wonder what would have happened if Wells had a better time slot or a different day, I wonder how much more widespread the destruction could have been. I'm not saying Wells was was bad for, uh, or was in any way malevolent for producing this show. Again, I, I think this is a brilliant way to share the story of War of the Worlds, but again, people were not ready for this. All right, Billy. I have what I think is, is the deepest lore, not necessarily because I I think it's somewhat well known, um, at least within the communities who know a bit about, like, who are interested in radio, especially people who are interested in pirate radio and, um, like, ham radio and, you know, all the, all the general personal amateur broadcasting technologies. Yeah. But do you have anything else before I kind of dive into this? Uh, so I do have the interesting note that in the former Soviet republics and mm-hmm. some Eastern Bloc countries, the older 65.8 to 74 megahertz band was used with that assigned, it assigned frequencies at intervals of thirties. And it was no, that band was referred to as the OIRT band. Okay. Huh. It's really weird. Like hearing about all of the other ways of doing radio broadcasting. Yeah. The 87.5 to 100. 8.0 megahertz band is referred to as the CCIR band. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, interestingly enough, they use a band that is 76 to 95 megahertz. Wait, so how close are they? They're 11.5 on the lower end. That's that's the difference. Okay, that's really close. Yeah, I, I found that really interesting that there's three different types of bands, one of which is exclusive to Japan. And it actually might not be exclusive to Japan, but that's as far as I could find. Yeah. Well, it can also be like there's also an extent to which it's like you can exclusive like those those bands exist outside of Japan. Just no one else uses yeah. them. Yeah. All right, Billy, I'm going to talk to you about the 
one of the more interesting things that I found on my research, and that is the ghost station. Oh? This is known as UVB-76. It is nicknamed the Buzzer. It is a shortwave radio station, uh, which broadcasts between... Uh, 4,625 to, or no, sorry, it broadcasts on the frequencies 4,625 and 4,810 kilohertz. This station broadcasts a short, monotonous buzzing tone, repeated at intervals 24 hours a day. Weird. There are a lot of theories as to who broadcasts this. But as far as I know, and I've, I've looked through a couple different sites on this one, and that being said, it's kind of hard to get good information because this site is, this is a hotbed for conspiracy theorists. Yeah. There are theories that it is the Russian armed forces. There are other theories as well. But largely no one knows who owns this radio station and no one has really claimed it as theirs. Hmm. Some interesting things to note. Sometimes this buzzing signal is interrupted by a voice transmission in Russian. Oh? Mm-hmm. It's had a couple different of a couple different call signs. What's kind of the most interesting thing to note is that some of the earliest records we have of this station beginning its broadcast is around 1978, and it is still ongoing. It's still hmm. broadcasting. We have a couple different varieties of things that will break up the buzzing, which I'm actually going to very quickly. Here is a download of a sample of what plays on that radio station. You may need, you may want to turn your volume down a little bit when you listen to this. Oh wow! That is a- this is an actual radio station that is broadcasting. <laughs> It almost sounds like a boat horn that's miles away. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, also loud enough that it's like sounds like it's right there. And and listeners, I like these are audio clips. I will absolutely uh drop these in this in this uh in here for you. A couple of things. One, this is not the only radio station that does something like this. But real quickly to backtrack a little bit, uh, sometimes it's interrupted by voice and these messages give different things, say different things. Here's a clip from I'm not going to post I'm not going to post any more audio clips, but here's a transcript from the message that was recorded at 2100 hours on December 24th, 1997. Uh, it is just ya UVB-76, ya UVB-76, 180, bromel, 74279914, Boris, Roman, Olga, Mikhail, Anna, Larissa, 74279914. On November 3rd, 2001, a couple statements in Russian. The English translation reads, I am 143, not receiving the generator. That stuff comes from the hardware room. This goes on for some time. (laughs) And, oh man, if this does not creep you out, (laughs) I'm, I find it a little spooky. (laughs) It's spooky. I'm I'm less spooked and more confused. Yeah, it is a little. Yeah, 
No, I, I understand. There is another radio station that is appears to be a sister station to UVB76, the buzzer. This station is nicknamed the PIP on account of the type of noise that it tends to give off. Uh, but it is another one of the 24 hours a day radio stations. Here is that audio clip. And Billy, this is this is the, the PIP uh, audio clip that you see in there. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm the only one who finds the grainy quality of these audio quips, equips, clips super unsettling. So this one is kind of interesting because there is another sister site. Well, there is another sister site, but that's not what I was. Yes. OK, so there is there is another site or another broadcast referred to the squeaky wheel, which has a third different kind of audio that plays which i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play here because we're kind of starting to get into the more a uh, bunch of the same thing what's interesting is that activity on the pip would in the past often be followed a few minutes later by a voice message on the squeaky wheel and occasionally you could even hear the pip's characteristic beeping sound in the background of the transmission from the squeaky wheel huh. suggesting that these to at least these two radio stations are either operated in the same facility or even the same room. Again, like we don't know what these are. No one's no one's stepping up and saying, yeah, we did this one. At least not that I'm aware of. Wikipedia wants to blame ownership of these stations on the Russian armed forces, but it's Wikipedia. And while Wikipedia is certainly better than a lot of teachers give a, give anyone credit for, it, it is not perfect. I am disinclined to believe that, although I there's enough Russian on these stations that I could definitely see it being run by uh, some kind of Russian oper- operation. But that definitely, to me, strikes as the... Uh, the hottest iron upon which to forge our deep lore. Yeah, that's that's definitely deep war, deep lore worthy. Cause man, this is that audio creeps me out, especially with the like weird broken Russian statements. And not just that it's in Russian, but just the that weird transmission, that weird voice clip, those that clip that we ca- that we caught. I don't even know if it's 143. I think it's I am 143, period. Not receiving the generator. Something garbled and unintelligible. Followed by that stuff comes from the hardware room. Like, man, that's could be nothing. And yet, in September 2010, several unusual broadcasts were observed. These included portions of the buzzer being replaced with extracts from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. And in one instance, a sound that resembled that of a woman screaming. That's not scary at all. No, not at all. Hmm. However, it did get hijacked at one point by French fishermen, and I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say 100% certain because I do not know for a fact, but I am 98% certain it is just like amateur broadcasters accidentally playing on the same frequency. As another thing, and because so because uh, UVB-76 is a shortwave frequency, basically it gets ricocheted off the sky, more or less. It's a really weird system for broadcasting, but yeah, basically it gets ricocheted off the sky. It would make sense that a signal more direct could override it. 
At least to me. The science may not back that one up, but, you know, here we are. But anyway, Billy, that's about all I got. Do you have anything else to throw in here? I I do not. All right. Well, as always, listeners, I definitely, definitely get in touch with us uh, at Deep Lorable. It's, uh, it's on Twitter. Or contact us at a Gmail. Why Why am I forgetting it less and less? I'm remembering it Deplorable more and more. Deplorablecontact at gmail.com. Deplorablecontact at gmail.com. Thank you, Billy. How am I forgetting it more? I should be remembering I, it more. Get like a get like a, a note card or like a sticky note. Post-it like, note stuck to my keyboard. Stuck to whatever. your monitor. Stuck to my monitor. <sighs> well, thank you all listeners for listening. And remember... We are taking a brief hiatus as of this episode for about a month uh, until I can get some life situations under control because hmm, living is hard. And I'm sure everyone listening knows that. But yeah, thank you all for listening. And you will hear from us next time. Bye. Bye.